Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be in church. It's great to be celebrating together. It's great to be doing child dedications. If this is your first time or one of your first times, again, welcome. It's great to have you here this morning. Uh, I hope you feel at home. I hope you feel part of the family. That's our intention. Um, it's a big family, and uh, but there's always room at the table. I know growing up, um, we ate a lot of leftovers because mom always prepared enough that if somebody showed up unexpectedly, she could feed them. And so I, sometimes I swore I never actually ate the meal the first time that it was always leftovers. But it was because she was expecting more and we're the same way here. We're always open to and receiving guests and, and uh, we just pray that you feel at home. Well, we are into week two of our series called The Pursuit of Joy. We started it last week. Uh, if you missed that, you can catch up by going on to our website, faithhalifax.org. And if you go to the, there's a drop down menu there that says listen, you can find the different messages there and be able to catch up. So we just encourage you to do that if you want to kind of keep in pace. And, and just to give you a snapshot of that, many times, many people live their lives with the pursuit of happiness. You know, it's like in, in the American Constitution, it it's talks about, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But I made the point, and I argued last week, that there is something even greater than the pursuit of happiness. There's something deeper. There's something more lasting. There's something more robust than just happiness, because happiness depends on what happens. And, and what I believe that is, is joy. That there's a joy. There's something that's deeper and greater and, and, and we have to be careful that if, if we focus on the pursuit of happiness, then happiness, which is fleeting, and I said last week it's a bit of a rabbit trail, that it's like it's something that will lead you certain ways. It's fleeting will actually take you someplace that you didn't realize that you would end up, whereas joy brings you to a place of, of fulfillment. So be careful what you pursue, because what you pursue will determine where you end up. Pretty simple. But let's be honest. Even if we are feeling joyful, life will sometimes suck the joy out of you. We can get caught up in circumstances and lose our joy. There, there's times when, when I'm dealing with, with challenges, dealing with circumstances, and, and things begin to happen that, that I'll notice that my joy is beginning to be eroded. It's like it's being drawn out of me. It's as if it's like, and it's not ever just one thing. Right? You, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's never just one thing. It's just that one thing upon the one thing upon the one thing. And it, it seems, seems like it accumulates and suddenly you're kind of buried in life and your joy gets suffocated and buried in the midst of it. So, so today I want to continue with this idea of our pursuit of joy. I, I want us to, to recognize that, yes, life happens. Struggles will come. It happens to everybody. The Bible, Christianity, does not promise that we will never have problems. In fact, the Bible actually promises the opposite. And you're like, yeehaw, thanks, Pastor. This is yeah, very encouraging. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you. I'm feeling more joyful already. Life happens. The Bible actually says in, in, in John, Jesus is teaching, he says, in this world you will have trouble. But he, but he doesn't leave it there. Right? That's the, that's the part A. Part B says, but take hope because I have overcome the world. I mean, that's good to know. Th that's good to know because joy is not the absence of hardship. I hope you like, recognize that. 
Joy is not the absence of hardship. This, this is important because sometimes we get the idea that if we're experiencing difficult times, if we're going through something that's, 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 that's devastating, that's crushing, that's challenging, we can sometimes get the idea that God has left us, we are so far away from Him that, that we are alone in this and that there is no hope. You see, that's, that's where the enemy kind of gets us. That's where he gets a, a, a kind of a stranglehold on us. Because if we believe that if we're experiencing trials or we're experiencing challenges that, that God has left us, then, then the enemy kind of has us in a trap. And that's not true. Everyone experiences less than ideal circumstances from time to time. We live in a fallen world with broken people and messed up values and a culture that's kind of sideways. In this world, we will have trouble, but... But we are not alone. We can still have joy. The psalmist says, like in Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, he says, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. It will happen. Like, we will have tears. We will have moments. That's not wrong. Like, don't beat yourself up for that. That's life. But as sure as the sun came up this morning and the sun will come up tomorrow morning, joy comes in the morning. God is faithful. Weeping will come. It's not permanent. Just remember it's not permanent. <laughs> Heard a saying, if you're going through hell, don't stop. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> come out the other side. Come on, right? Joy comes in the morning. Uh, but there are some things that have left unchecked. There's some things that, that happen to us, things that we can kind of fall into, that if left unaddressed, will steal our joy, that they'll, they'll pull it away from us. If there's things that happen, and if we're unwittingly like falling into it and embracing it, there's things that we can, we can get trapped in. I'm going to call them joy stealers. Okay, joy stealers. You are going to get a very rare three-point message from your pastor this morning. I'm going, to try, I'm going to try to stick to the three points, but it's like, it's rare, but I've got three points. I want to talk about three joy stealers that we face in life that can really, really steal our joy, hence the name's joy stealers. But I also want to talk about the, the antidote for that, the solution to those joy stealers. So let, let's take a moment and pray just for a sec. God, I thank you for the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. God, I thank you that though we face things in our night seasons, challenges, God, we can be assured that joy comes in the morning. God, you are faithful. You are with us. You have not left us. God, I just pray for your word this morning that it will encourage hearts that it will increase our level of joy and the strength that comes from that. Lord, that as we pursue you, as we, as we pursue joy, God, that we will be found by you and we will find you in the midst of that. So God, have your way this morning. Lord, if there's anyone here, if there's anyone here that, that is in that place where they are struggling, Lord, they're trapped, they're buried, the, the things of, of life have left them leave, just without joy have left them hurting, have left them broken. God, even this morning, Lord, that hope would rise in them, that joy would be their strength, that joy would be their portion. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So joy stealers. So joy stealer number one that I want to throw at you. Comparison. You're like, what? Comparison will steal your joy. If you live your life wishing you had what someone else has, you will lose your joy. And it could be a lot of different things. It could even be good things. It could be possessions. You see something that someone else has and you want it. 
It could be relationships. It could even be within the life of the church where you wish you had someone else's position or you wish you had somebody else's gift or calling or, or you wish you had someone else's faith or someone else's relationship with God. Sounds good, sounds noble, but it will leave you frustrated and lacking joy. Comparison will do that to you. <laughs> My dad often said, he was a wise guy, but he was also a wise man. My, my dad often said, if you, if you want to stay happy with your own motorcycle, don't try someone else's. <laughs> Any of you bikers out there know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? It's true. And, and it's not true with just motorcycles, which is totally what he was talking about. But he was talking about so much more than that. He was talking about life. If you, if you want to be happy with it, don't fall into the comparison trap. And this is a freebie. This next one. Married people or people that are in a, an exclusive relationship. Listen. Be smart about your friends on social media. Get off the d dating websites Stop window shopping. If you want your spouse to be your one and only, then stop entertaining the competition. Mm, that'll preach. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have friends. friends. Friends are good. But when you start comparing your friends to your spouse or your spouse to your friends, you're in dangerous waters. Comparison will kill a marriage. That's why I married a woman beyond compare. Because that way it eliminates the competition. Ah, uh, yes. Brownie points. <laughs> Proverbs 27, 20 says, Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of men. Get that? Death and destruction are never satisfied, neither are the eyes of men. It's this idea we, we see things, and there's like, we're never quite satisfied, so we're always wanting more. It's comparison. We're always comparing things. Galatians 5 in, in the New Testament, Paul's writing to the church in, in Galatia. And there's this great description of the results of or the fruit of the sinful nature, our old self, the brokenness, the, 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 the dark side, so to speak. And it compares that to the fruit of the Spirit and what the Spirit brings out in us. And so as you, as you begin to read these two things in, in uh, Galatians 5, it, it lists some things that are the result of our, our fallen nature. And it talks about hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. And when you think about those, those things and you, you think about what they have in common, it's... It, it, don't they come out of the idea of comparison? Like you start comparing things and you get jealous. You start comparing things and there's envy and there's hatred and there's discord. But then there's, there's another list that, that comes out of that later in Galatians that I'll touch on as well. But if comparison is stealing your joy, what's going to fix that? Right? So you've been comparing. You recognize it. Your joy's being eroded that. What is the solution? If comparison is stealing your joy, gratitude and thankfulness will bring it back. Gratitude and thankfulness will bring it back. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Full of gratitude. 
Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We worship God here on Sunday mornings. We, we get together with the music and we just pour our hearts out to God. But can we do that with thankfulness and reverence and awe, with a sense of thank you, God, for who you are? Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. I'm throwing a lot of scriptures at you. You might have to write them down, but throwing scriptures at you. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, sorry, I made a mistake. No, I don't want you to rejoice. No, he actually repeats it. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, just in case you missed it the first time, rejoice. Be full of joy. Right? And then, but he goes on. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus comparison will steal your joy but thankfulness will restore it God is good so that's number one joy stealer number two worry worry will steal your joy we, we kind of make worry innocent sometimes, but worry is that dialogue in your brain. It's that what if that keeps coming up. It's that sense of it doesn't seem to what happens. There's a dark lining on that cloud. And it's, it's basically, and here's where it gets less than, than benign. Worry is basically not trusting God. And I know that sounds a little harsh, but think about it. Really, really, really think about it. We have little that we can do with the onset of worry. It's like temptation. Temptation happens to all of us. Worry happens, the onset of worry happens to all of us. It's what we do with it that makes the difference. It's what we do, whether we ruminate on it, whether we say, you know, we, get, we start to worry and we just sink our teeth into it and we stay in it and we get into the cycle but we have a responsibility to decide what we're going to do with worry. Because worry is a habit. It's a pattern. It develops over time. It's highly addictive. And more people, some people are more prone to it than others, but we all face it. And it's what we do with it that separates those who walk in joy and those who don't. Worry. Now, that's not uncommon. It's common to all of us. In fact, Jesus... You know, Jesus has an opportunity. He's got a short uh, ministry time on earth. And then in Matthew chapter 5, he begins this, this time of teaching. And it's like, this is kind of like his manifesto of, of what was the most important. And in Matthew chapter 6, we, we, we see in, in starting in verse 26, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has been teaching them. And he's got people gathered around him. Life is happening for them. And he begins to teach them in Matthew 6, 25, and he says, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? He's, he's making a point, rhetorical question. Then he's, he expands, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store up in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and are you not much more valuable than they are? 
He goes on. Who of you, <clears throat> this is a good one. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? In fact, I would argue that the opposite of true. The more we worry, the more we subtract hours from our life. And why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field and how they grow? Do they not labor? They don't labor or spin yet. I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was more clothed more beautiful than they. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and then thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So don't worry. Saying, but, but what will we eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Ladies? Sorry, no, I'm not going there. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Debbie says, careful. See, she's my conscience on the front row, right? It says, for pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. You know, I talked about the pursuit of happiness versus the pursuit of joy. The pursuit of what am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? The pursuit of those things. And, and, what, and you know, it talks about people run after those things. That's pursuit. That's pursuing. And Jesus is saying here, pursue God. Get the pursuit right. You'll end up in the right place. You'll be taken care of. Worry will steal your joy. So if worry steals it, how do we build it? Well, if worry steals it, trust will build it. What worry steals, trust will rebuild. We trust, we trust God. In Matthew 6, it's as if, as if Jesus is saying here, it's like, guys, trust me. Right? When you're reading that, when you're, when you're going through it, the examples he gives, can you hear that? To hear the heart of what he's saying is like, he says, don't worry. And then he builds a case for trusting God. Trust me. Trust me. Romans 15, 13. This is a great verse. It pulls in so much. It pulls in so much of even what we've sung about this morning, God's faithfulness and the hope that comes from that, our living hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust is a decision. Even with people, but even with God. Hope is a decision. It's extended. It's given. Trust is what I'm talking about, not hope. Trust is a decision. Trust is extended. Trust is given. And when your mind is racing, when you're in the midst of worry, when your heart's already bought into it, it is tough to break that. It's, it's tough. You have to work. There's a discipline to overcoming worry. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When we're worrying, there's a battle for our mind and where we're going to go with it. There's a fight it talks about demolishing, and, 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 and it talks about taking captive. Well, you don't take a captive without a battle. You don't demolish something without some work. We have to fight. We have to work at it. We have to resist. And we know that God is for us, and we don't have to do it in our own strength because we seek the power of the Holy Spirit to bring freedom as we do that. 
we can, we can kind of, you know, think, try, you know, in our own effort, we can just try to muscle through in our brain and say, no, I won't worry, no, I won't worry, no, I'm worried, I'm worrying. We, we have a decision to make, we have a part to play, but we've got to come, we've got to come to that place of coming to God and surrendering and saying, God, I trust you in this. God, I trust you in this. Lord, I don't like it, but I trust you in this. God, in fact, I hate it, but I trust you in this. God, help me to trust you in this. Holy Spirit, give me strength. Help me to trust you. I believe it was the case with, with King David. David was, was a poet and a king and a musician and so many things. And, and in the Old Testament, there's a story of David, and, and, and he, he was actually on the run from, from the king at the time, Saul, and he was in a bad way. And David wrote some great songs in the midst of that. And one of the things was in Psalms, Psalms 28.7. Psalm 28.7. I love how he puts this. He says, the Lord is my strength and shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy and I will give thanks to him in song. Trusting in God and he brings joy. Worry will steal your joy, but trust will rebuild it. So that's one and two. And as promised, joy stealer number three. As a preface to this one, I'm working on this one, but I have been teased at different times and told that sarcasm is one of my spiritual gifts. <laughs> it's not. But joy stealer number three, cynicism. You know, the cool, dry cynic. I just have, I just look at reality. Cynicism. And life will cause us to become cynical if we let it. And here's the strange thing about being cynical and, and cynicism. Cynicism doesn't easily happen to the people that don't care. Cynicism happens more readily to people that care deeply. Because what can sometimes happen as you care deeply and life happens and you're disappointed? You can put up walls of cynicism to protect yourself from being disappointed again. So cynicism, cynicism comes from a place that starts in a good place where you, where you care deeply about something and you look at the world and you look at situations and you look at different things and you go, that ain't right. I don't like it. I'm not setting myself up for that again. I'm not going to trust. I'm not going to hope. I'm going to be, I'm just, and we become cynical. Even in church life, man, we can, we can see our faith erode over time. We see things and we can be tempted to give up on people. You spend time investing in, in someone that's, that's broken or, you know, you're counseling and you're investing and investing, investing, and you see a little bit of progress and then it just all goes sideways. And you can sometimes give up. Maybe you're praying for a loved one, a family member. You know, you just, you just want to see change and, and you just believe it and you pray and it goes on. And if anything, it seems like it gets worse. We can even give up on God. I understand how easily it can happen. I mean, I'm not immune to it. I see my fair share of it. It can happen so easily. And the danger is the more you care, the greater the potential for cynicism. I get it. But I've yet to meet a person that is both cynical and joyful. 
I've yet to meet that person that's a cynic and full of joy. I mean, you guys can do the research, but... So how do you counter cynicism? You know, you feel it kind of creeping in, right? It's like the other things. It's death of a thousand cuts. Cynicism, you can kind of feel it hardening and things getting stiff. How do you counteract cynicism? Hope. Hope. Hope will crush cynicism. There's a a great Hillsong song that, man, they used to do a lot, and it says, let hope rise and darkness tremble in your holy light. Let hope rise. Hope will crush cynicism. Nothing does it like it does. God God responds to our lack with abundance. When when Jesus is in the mix, when we're we're following Him and, and we're walking in Him, our past does not need to define our future. There's hope. In Him, there is hope. Our circumstance, like I said when I began, like this idea of, you know, sorrow comes in the night, but joy comes in the morning. There is hope. Brian Houston is famous for saying, the best is yet to come. The best. The best is yet to come. And that's true, not because of our circumstances, but that's true because of the faithfulness of God. That no matter how good it is right now, what God has in store is better. No matter how bad it is right now, there is hope. The best is yet to come. Not because of our circumstances. The Apostle Paul, who went through shipwrecks, arrests, People tried to kill him by stoning him. He was rejected. He was like so many things. He was, a, he was a, an evangelist in, in the New Testament. He wrote like a whole bunch of the books of the New Testament. And he says this. Remember, the context. That's why I told you about what his life was like. He says this. Paul talking to the people. He says, guys, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth even comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He says, it doesn't even compare. That's a man with hope. I love that. And I'm going to call the the team back as I kind of wrap this up. There was a prophet, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on how you pronounce it. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. It's a short book, but there's a lot in it. And in winding this up, the prophet has, has spoken to the nation of Israel and challenged them and, and talked about perspective. And he really wraps it up with this, and this is powerful. This is not rah-rah type joy. This is that sense that God is with us and come any situation, God is still my hope. And this is how it reads. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. And remember, these guys did not have grocery stores. They did not have Sobeys. They did not have all the rest of them. This, but this is what it says. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms. That's bad news. There's no grapes on the vine. That means no wine either. Even though the olive crop fails. That's how they made most of their living. Even the fields lie empty and barren. 
even though the flocks die in the field and the cattle burns are empty. All right, stack that pile up. What would most of us do? We'd shake our fist at heaven and said, God, why have you forsaken me? We'd say, this is not fair. This is not right. This is not good. There's no good in this. There's no redeeming this. Habakkuk, like, what you're saying here is that we're done. Even though the fig tree has no blossoms, there's no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails, fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle burns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. That's not a Facebook post. That's not a tweet. That's, that's, that's gut-wrenching level of I'm up to here, yet I make a choice. Right. Yeah. That's, and I was reading that, man, talk about caring. Sometimes I care too much, I think. But I'm reading that, and I get the feeling that there's somebody here saying, you're just reading my you read my Facebook page now. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. And the funny thing is, is that people around you don't even know. Those that are really attuned might have a sense, but... but When everything in you is screaming, it's not fair. When everything in you is screaming, just give up. When everything within you is just saying it's not worth it. Can I just say there's hope? Cynicism versus hope. I've never met a joyful cynic. But let hope rise. Worry versus trust. You know, worry is, is, I mean, it happens to all of us, but what we do with it will make the difference in whether we choose to trust God in the midst of it or whether we let it consume us. Comparison versus thankfulness. Let's not fall into the trap of comparison, even if it's in within the life of the church. Well, I wish I had their opportunity, or I wish I had their gift, or I wish I had their faith. Now go after what God has for you. God has faith for you. God has a purpose and plan for you. God has, has things for you. You don't need somebody else's. Be the best you can be. Everybody else is taken. So can I just ask you, where do you put your hope this morning? Is your hope in what you can do yourself? Is your hope in circumstance? Where do you place your trust? Are you trusting your own abilities? Are you trusting the stock market? Are you trusting whoever's next to you? Or are you trusting God? And are you truly thankful for what you have in Him? Because out of that place of gratitude springs joy, joy eternal. 
Sorrow, weeping comes for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Can we stand? I just want to pray for you. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling and you're, you're without joy, know you're in the perfect place at the perfect time right now. Because I believe that prayer unlocks things. I believe that, that this is just more than mere words. That there's keys here that can change a person's life for others, forever. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, this isn't self-help. This is totally God-reliance. We need Jesus. We've got to start from a place of a foundation, and that foundation is found in Him and Him alone. God is my refuge and strength, my ever-present help in times of trouble, and troubles come, come for all of us, but I will not worry. I will trust in Him. I will not become cynical because I have hope. God, I pray for people here this morning that are, that are, that are they're looking at their life and, and it's coming up short, God. They're, they're, they're struggling and they're, they're worried about this and that and they're finding themselves becoming harder and harder and more miserable and more miserable and pushing people away. And, and God, they want to be free from that, Lord. I pray for hope to rise. Let hope rise. And the darkness tremble, trembled in the light of the glory of God. Lord, let light arise in people's hearts this morning. Let joy bubble up within people, Lord. Not happy, clappy, but joy. Something that's stronger, something that's enduring. God, that the joy of the Lord would be somebody's strength here this morning. Lord, somebody on the verge of giving up would say, no, I will trust you, God. I will trust you. I will believe that joy comes in the morning. So God, have your way in each one. Bring freedom. Bring freedom, God. Lord, if there's anyone here within the sound of my voice, that this is a mystery to them, that they have no idea what I'm talking about. This God, this joy, this, this, this Jesus, this is pretty far-fetched. God, I pray that today seeds would be sown that would actually germinate and grow and sprout and bring life and life in you, that they would come alive spiritually as they accept you, Jesus, as their Savior, and they're changed forever, and joy comes to them out of the darkness. Lord, have your way. And God, as we worship you today, may we worship you, Lord, from a place of thanksgiving, of recognition of who you are, of surrender, of honesty before you. And God, may it please your heart and may it break things. May it break things in the spirit that we can't see in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together from a heart of gratitude.